From underneath Dolly Parton's mattress at the Chicken Ranch, it's the IGN DigiGods. Now, please give a hand to a couple of stroker aces. Then again, maybe you shouldn't. Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Stroker aces reference. Corey, who is so astute? That was courtesy of Lance Taylor. His name is Lance, and his other name is Taylor. <laughs> Never misses a chance to make fun of Lance's name. Thank you, Lance. Um, yes, Wade. Big, uh, big, big news day and whatnot. Um, for well, starters, the for starters, I saw Mad Max, and I know you don't. I know you want to talk about who won the Palme d'Or. Yes. Well, we also need to talk about the tragic loss that the freak loss in that New York taxi accident. I know of. Uh, well, we should start with that. Uh, John Nash. John Nash. That's just, that's just bizarre. And his wife. I you mean, know, that's it, just... It, what, what, what kills me about stories like that is that you, you, you live so long and you go through so much and yet you die like that. Yeah. Sitting in the back of a, of a, of a hire car. Basically, the, the real-life guy and his wife, played by Russell Crowe and Jennifer Connelly in A Beautiful Mind, best picture of 2001, uh, which <laughs> I can't believe it's been... 14 years. Uh, but, uh, yeah, tragic freak New York taxi accident. Weren't wearing their seatbelts. Taxi swerved or something. And Okay, who? Okay, honestly, yeah. who wears... Again, he's 86. I think she was 84, something like yeah. that. But still, who wears their seatbelt in a taxi cab? Nobody. Nobody. Nobody does that. Yeah. Although weird. when you're that old, you maybe should because... But then again, it's like, you know, you've taken taxis for decades. Why yeah. today would you get into an accident? Strange. Just Speaking of which, by the way, I have to say... So sad. Uh, that is sad. I went to a funeral uh, the other day. Yes. And um, I have to uh, give a shout-out to someone who's very important to me in my career, John Axelson. Yeah. John Axelson was my number two on The Man Show. And John Axelson was one of those classic cigar-chomping, ball-busting, brick-wall guys who, was, who didn't take crap from anybody, was incredibly brutally honest, but was also, and was very loyal and always had your back, was, was also very honest. Yeah. And I remember the, uh, the funny thing going to this memorial service was a bunch of people from the Man Show were there to pay their respects. Even though the Man Show had been canceled you know, over 12 years ago, that's how much of an impact John had on their careers and their lives. And you get to hear these stories about John that I had no idea because I'm too busy executive producing the show that I don't know what goes on from moment to moment. And you yeah. hear these stories. I mean, there was this one guy, this one guy who told this funny story. He, he, he says to me, at this is at the funeral yesterday. He says, he says, so Mark, I, I, I just want to tell you a story. So about three weeks before the show was going to wrap, I had quit smoking. And because I had quit smoking, I was becoming, like many people who had just quit smoking, a little edgy, a little ornery, a little short-tempered, a little tough to be around. So basically at the job, I was a jerk and unpleasant to work with because I just quit smoking. So John calls me into his office and sits me down and says, look, man, I love you. I am so happy that you quit smoking because it's good for your health. But I'm telling you, we only have three weeks left and you're becoming a pain in the ass and nobody wants to work with you anymore. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to keep smoking for another three weeks. Just start smoking again for another three weeks. And then after the show is over, you can stop smoking. And so he did. This guy said, that makes sense. So he started smoking again for three more weeks. And then when the show was over, he stopped smoking forever. But John was the type of guy who would literally get you to do something that might kill you because that was how forceful and persuasive he could be. That's pretty great. So John Axelson, uh, most important hire of my entire career. I could not have gotten through that show without him. So I have to give a shout out to John Axelson and my condolences to his friends and family. And that's John Axelson. He was the best. Well, that's so. Two pieces of bad news to start the two show. Two pieces of bad news, but you saw you saw Mad Max Fury Road. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. You know, it, it's, it's just sheer pandemonium. It's just incredible. You know, and, and and we were now, talking about this before. You, you were you were just saying the same thing to me, which I said on uh, on NPR on on Film Week when I was on with Tim, which is. That it restores the how did they do that factor because we've gotten away from that. You watch the Avengers or Iron Man and you go, yeah, but I know how they did that. It's it's like a bunch of nerds sitting in front of a computer and, and just doing CGI. I, it, it, I know how that's done. It's not real. Here, you're like, that is a truck and a bunch of cars and they're going 60 miles and 80 miles an hour across the Namibian desert and 
there's flames and there's a guitar explosions. and explosions and actors who are hanging over and, and um, I don't know I have no idea how they did that. There's guys on 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 poles dropping onto the I, did, I I'm clueless. I have no idea how you did that. I, I and that's I, wonderful to have that to feel that again. I'd forgotten. I was numb. Right, I'm like yeah, this is all CGI. I and, always yeah. wonder whether whether uh, if you're 22 years old and you're watching this film, whether you do you respond to it in a way that oh my god, this is I don't know for me, or do you just go well, it wasn't as good as Fast and Furious because in Fast and Furious they went over a cliff. Yeah, well, you know, in Fast and Furious, yeah, that's that's pointed correct. Thank, Thank you. you. But if Fast and Furious, you know, it's not even about the the wow factor. It's about you know the bohunk factor and the the, the cool and the you know it's a style. The movie's thing. kind of because Fury Road is kind of underperforming now. Now, how do you want me to hold this? Point the microphone at your want. mouth. Point well, it at your I, mouth. I thought it was not your chest. I have to. I need to point my mouth at the microphone. Now nah, that would help too. Um, it's rated R. Yes. So that limits it. It does to some extent. Yes. Um, excuse me. Also, did you hear that? I know. Also. Um, it's getting outperformed by Pitch Perfect Two, which I understand to a certain extent. Because if you first mm-hmm. of all, Pitch Perfect Two is like the Sex in the City movie, where all the women it, it, will go in gaggles to yeah. go see Pitch Perfect Two. Yeah. And also, if you're a, if you're a woman, you will drag your boyfriend to go see Pitch Perfect Two. He'll hate True. it, but he knows he'll get oral sex later, yeah. so it'll be fine, <laughs> right? But there is no guy in the world who will drag his girlfriend to go see Mad Max. It's well, not going to happen. Even though it's got a real, you know, Power Girl theme to it, it does. Yeah, it does. Which, which, we which is pretty, which is pretty crafty. Yeah. on George Miller's part. Uh, and uh, you know, Pitch Perfect too. It's it's Aka all right. We'll cover that when it comes out on Blu-ray. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, Mad Max, man. Oh, it's out of control. Just... Those the, the, the those pole cats. I mean, these, you, you, you see the polecats. Tell me, and, and, and yeah, the polecats just that's and, insane. And, and by the way, I, I sent you a link to 16 minutes yeah. of, uh, of behind-the-scenes footage, it's pretty and cool. there's no wire removal on those polecats. They're doing that. Yeah, they are. They're, those are they're, they're acrobats. They hired like they went to Cirque du Soleil and said, "Do you know anybody who could do this and be crazy enough to actually do it?" And they they they, they that they're acrobats. Those. And by the way, not to fawn too much. Yeah. There's plenty of CGI in the movie. Oh, it's there just, is. You just have it. Just where did, but, where was it deployed? Yes, the the moments that make you go, oh wow, are not CGI moments. They aren't. It, you know, it's. It, the, I mean, that that sandstorm lasts about a minute and a half, and then there's a you know there's like a a tire that goes flying at the screen. A couple, I mean, it's just it's little accents, but the rest of the stuff is real. Oh yeah, it's just it's just unbelievable. it's just a convoy of trucks, cars, and motorcycles. And tell me, was I? Was, I mean, this is what I also said on the show. I said, here's the audacity of this film. It begins with what is in that moment the greatest chase scene in movie history, and then it one ups itself at the end. Like the two greatest chase scenes in movie history bookend this movie. It's incredible. I, I I would have to say it's probably the the best practical, barely CGI enhanced. Chase scene yeah. in movie history. It's amazing. It's great. It's amazing. Anyway, and yeah, you know, and actually, what's funny is I actually found Tom Hardy the least interesting part of the movie. He kind of is. You know, he he was almost like he almost took a back seat in his to own Charlie Theron. Yeah, to Charlie Theron. Yeah, you know. Well, also on another subject, uh, as we are recording this, the uh, the Cannes Film Festival has just handed out all of its awards. Are we talking about Blu-rays today? All? We are, yeah. But we should say there's a lot of surprises here. Uh, Rooney Mara and Emmanuel Berko share the Best Actress Prize. Rooney Mara in uh, uh, the film Carol, which is coming out at the end of the year. Uh, lesbian love story between Rooney Mara and Kate um, Blanchett based on a Patricia Highsmith novel. So that's uh, that you can bet that that's going to be an odds on Oscar contender at this point. Uh, and um, Vincent Linden just won Best Actor for Measure of a Man, basically as a guy trying to cope with uh, being out of work forever, which is fascinating because just a few days ago, literally six days ago, Tim and I, right after we did our, our little film week spiel, we sat down and we did a trio of uh, audio commentaries for uh, for Cohen for a bunch of uh, four, three forthcoming films, which I will not make mention of, but um, one of them has Vincent Linden in it. And I'm looking back, and, I'm, and our commentary halfway through, we're like, we got to stop picking on Vincent Linden because his character is dumb. He's not dumb. His character is just sort of self-absorbed. And we were kind of being a little bit, you know, a little bit snarky about it, but... It's, and now I'm thinking, damn, why didn't we, why didn't we do this tomorrow? <laughs> because we could have mentioned his Palm Door win. Ooh, that's true. It's, it's just it's a, it, timing. Dated. You know? Who knew? Who knew? Your um, commentary But what's interesting is, is Son of Saul, that fir- the, first, the, the Holocaust film the Holocaust by that first time, her first-time Hungarian filmmaker, it was expected to be a contender, as was 
The Assassin by Hu Xiaoxian, the legendary Taiwanese filmmaker who, you know, it's like, well, either it's going to be, uh, you know, the newcomer or the veteran, right? And neither of them got it. Hu Xiaoxian got director, Son of Saul got the grand prize, the runner-up award, and Jacques Audiard won this completely unexpected Palme d'Or with his film Dipan, which is about a Sri Lankan refugee uh, immigrant family in Paris. Well, you could tell for some reason the Coens, they just wanted to spread the wealth. Everybody Clearly. kind of got something. Well, it, which is funny for, for the guys who, when they won their Palme d'Or, they literally got everything. They resulted in a rules change that said, okay, juries can no longer give Best Director and Palme d'Or to the same film, and you can't give more than two awards to the same film. Because Barton Fink won Palme d'Or, Director, uh, like screenplay and actor, like they gave it, all, like they gave it everything. There was right. no spreading of the wealth that year, and uh, and everybody was kind of angry about it. You know, there were a lot of good films in the competition, and uh, P- Barton Fink walked away with everything because Polanski apparently went bananas for it and uh, muscled the jury into into voting it everything. So anyway, the Coens obviously are trying to uh, atone for that, I guess, in some sense. So yeah, everything, everybody got a little something. Yeah, so good stuff. So yeah. some of that stuff you'll be seeing at the end of the year yep. for awards considerations, and hopefully they'll come to your small town if you're if you're any small town. Well, we have uh, we've got some listener mail today, and we have a Vox <laughs> box. No, 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 no. Okay, so we'll be getting to that a little bit later, but we should start off. Um, let's see what we should start off with, Mark. It's your choice. Let's, I, you, let's, you. let's let's knock out some television first, starting with. Oh, my word. This gigantic, massive box that I have in my hands here. Um, A lot of complete series sets are coming out now from Paramount. And uh, this one is Walker, Texas Ranger, the complete collection. For those of you who feel like there's just not enough Chuck Norris in your life, uh, this is huge. This thing ran forever. Just absolutely forever. Can I tell you something? Yes. Do you realize that when Alexander Bell invented the telephone, he had three missed calls from Chuck Norris? That's he how, did. That's how cool Chuck Norris is. <laughs> you realize that Chuck Norris died 20 years ago, but death just hasn't built up the courage to go tell him. <laughs> so you realize that some magicians can walk on water, Chuck Norris can swim through land. <laughs> they, 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 never, they, never get, they never get they old. They never get old. They're just so great. You realize that Chuck Norris can cut through a hot knife with butter. <laughs> Chuck Norris is the reason why Waldo is hiding. <laughs> Death once had a near Chuck Norris experience. <laughs> Chuck uh, Norris can slam a revolving door. Oh, it's the best. Oh, it's too funny. It's just they, 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 never get, they never get unfunny. But there's no end to them. <laughs> they, they just will never end. Uh, oh, they're the best. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, and you know what? In, in the Expendables... Chuck Torres doesn't wear a watch. He decides what time it is. It's the best. He was, it, go I, ahead. I, I one can, more. I can, I can read these all day. Yeah, you got one more. Chuck Norris doesn't read books. He stares them down until he gets the information he wants. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, too good. Anyway, he was the best thing about Expendables 2, you know. When he shows up for all of 16 seconds in the middle of the thing and then again at the end, it, it, he's hardly in it, but he's the best thing about it. Um, anyway, so here we are, all eight seasons of this. And for some reason, even though that's a long time, doesn't it feel like this show was on the air for 20 or 30 years? It oh, just, yeah. Well, they also like had, like, TV movies, and they, they, yeah. they, they, they extended its life that Well, way. here it is. This thing weighs about 18 tons. It's the size of, like, four adobe bricks. And uh, basically, you get two very, very large keep cases. I didn't even know they made keep cases that thick. There are two huge ones in here that have three seasons apiece, one through three on one keep case, uh, four through seven on the other. And then there's a smaller keep case that has season eight. But, Mark, look how thick those keep cases are. Did you even know they made them that thick? It's impressive. They're, they're like four inches thick. It's pretty much the final word on Walker, yeah. Texas Ranger. Final word. 198 episodes. A whopping eight seasons. And uh, it, this is not a good show, by the way. It's no, just really not. Isn't. It isn't. Uh, Conan O'Brien used to make fun of this show all the time with clips that, you know, once they, uh, once they had the merger, uh, whichever merger it was. It was, was it Universal? Is that how who, that was? Who it's was Universal. Well, it's a Paramount DVD, but didn't Universal 
produced the show or something like that? Uh, did I forget. Universal produce the show? I can't I remember. Know. I can't remember. It, it, it aired on CBS, right? That's why it's on Paramount DVD. Anyway, um, Conan, at, a certain, at a certain point, Conan O'Brien, because of the merger, the Universal Comcast merger, somehow that enabled him to have the right to start showing Walker, Texas Ranger clips every single night. Uh, so that was uh, that was enormously amusing. Anyway, uh, so here it is. I mean, what do you want? It's Walker, Texas Ranger. It's a huge brick of a show. And, uh, I, you know, I grew up with Chuck Norris. I went and saw Good Guys Wear Black with my mother because I couldn't get in alone because it was rated R. I never liked those. You know, I never liked those movies. I thought they were just lame and B-movie-ish well, and silly. you know, whatever. Uh, wait, there's a show called Major Crimes, which for some reason keeps going on TNT. I don't understand why. There's actually a new season. Um... That is just starting up. The only reason why I even remotely uh, scanned, even scanned this show is because it gave Mary McDonald work. And that's a good thing because Mary McDonald was in Dances with Wolves. I love Mary McDonald. I really do. She hasn't had the right, the, 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 the best career. I know. Yeah. She had a lot of bad uh, Sneakers and then a couple other things and then she I just like kind of went away. I like sneakers. Sneakers is fun. It's okay. Oh, how dare you. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this is about it. It's about, a, uh, it's about the LA Police uh, Department and it's, uh, their major crimes division, which, of course, in real life does not exist. But uh, Major Crimes, third season, you know, it's just another one of those shows. What can I say? It's, uh, it's all sorts of crazy cases and uh, murders and it's a bunch of crap. I mean, I think there's shows like The Closer, I think, are better than this. And certainly the various Law and Orders, as formulaic as they are, are better than Major Crimes. This is just sort of like another one in the bunch, a little generic, but uh, people seem to like it. Yeah. Also, we have season two of Orange is the New Black. Orange is the New Black, of course, uh, nominated for a bunch of... Bunch of Emmys, bunch of Golden Globes. People love this show. It is, um, it's very edgy and crazy and out there and weird and dramatic and just a little bit funny. Um, yeah, so I'm totally on board with this show. Laverne Cox is great in it. Um, and uh, what, what's her name? Taylor Kinney. When I forgot, I even it's a her. it's a really well shot show Taylor too. Schilling. I mean, it, it's it, it it transitions to Blu-ray very nicely. I mean, it, it transitions the, the very, to Blu-ray. Very bright oranges and deep blacks. There's four featurettes. It's very on orange it. and black. There's there's uh, there's audio commentaries on, and I have to say, the best part about it is how convincing the Russian accent is on uh, Kate Mulgrew. That's true, isn't Kate it? Kate Mulgrew, a former uh, captain of the Enterprise yeah. or whatever Voyager, uh, does have a great Russian accent. Uh, some old TV, and then I'll make mention of a of some new TV that's old already. Gene Autry Collection Ten, fully restored. Uh, you know, I, I I'm Gene Autry was never of all the singing cowboys. Uh, he was always the one that bored me the most. But you know, he went on to own the Angels and did a hell of a job. So good for him. Uh, anyway, here this is. Uh, this isn't sort of technically television, but most people grew up with this stuff as TV. So. The, the Singing Vagabond, Oh Susanna, Rootin' Tootin' Rhythm, Western Jamboree. Uh, these things were constantly on television when I was growing up, and uh, they're all kind of the same. Um, Gene Autry's very unconvincing, uh, regardless of what he does, but he's just a pleasurable guy. He's, you know, so these are, these are you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, the Wonder Years has been out now in the complete edition, uh, the full series, but they're releasing them individually now. So uh, season three is out, and uh, the show is definitely kicking by season three. That's one of the more popular seasons. It sort of has the, the, the format is all established. And then lastly, I hit the mic. We have this thing called Hello Ladies. Which Hello, w- ladies. That's it, which uh, was a very, very short-lived HBO series. Uh, and it, it's it, this is kind of a, a sad thing because it was one of the producers of The Office who was involved in, in getting this going. Uh, not, obviously, any of the key personnel like uh, Ricky Gervais or anybody. But... Um, it, it 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 means to be an interesting fish out of water thing with this guy from England who uh, you know comes to Los Angeles and and he's you know he's a web designer and so you have this nerd factor and you have the fish out of water factor and the web factor and it's it screams I'm trying way too hard to be hip and integrated and uh, and the, the, the like the story of the moment the comedy of the moment that's hip and connected to everything and it just it didn't it that was it it sort of died on the on the vine and uh, you know you got about six hours of this thing um which is the complete series and the movie and that's it and uh i don't know it's a curiosity it's going to quickly go away um this thing i suspect will be out of print before we know it so if you know you have any affinity for it pick one up now because it probably won't be along around very long 
The only reason I remember the show is because uh, when I downloaded the Onion app, yeah, the Onion iPad app, yeah, it would uh, come up with a pop-up ad for um, Hello Ladies, yeah, and it would sit there for like a minute, two minutes, three minutes, yeah, and then I realized that the Onion app doesn't work. So I had to uninstall it. So uh, really, the only thing I remember about the Onion app yeah. is Hello Ladies. There you go. Uh, wait, what happened to Michael Mann? Wow. <laughs> you know well, what? Michael Mann, that guy He's, was just a, just a street-level badass guy I'll, of just urban warfare. Of I'll tell you what's intensity. wrong with him. He's trying to be relevant. When filmmakers try to be relevant, when they try to keep up with the zeitgeist, when, they try to, to, when they're older directors and they try to show how connected they are to the stuff and the hipness and the kids and the thing and whatever people are talking about and social media and blah, 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 that's when they lose their way. Michael Mann should just be saying, I'm going to make a Michael Mann movie. And if the rest of you are on board, good. If you're not, too bad. You if miss he can get out. money for that, if he can get funding for that. Well, that's the thing. He's, he's, he, I don't think he's willing to do There's what... There's only one reason why this movie got made. Okay. Chris Hemsworth. That's right. Black, know, we're talking about Black Hat. Black Hat. Uh, you know, the problem... You know, but, Chris, is there, is there a hacker anyway? Tilt your mic to your, to your mouth. You get what is it with the mic today? Get an angle. Get an angle on it. There you go. How about that? That works. Uh, is there a hacker anywhere in the world that looks like Chris Hemsworth? Yeah. The, seriously. Exactly. Like, like Hacker Thor? Well, whatever. Well, come on. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Ultimately, it's, it's cyber crime. Do you, do you remember when, when Sandra Bullock starred in The Net? Oh, gosh. You were that like, was dreadful. You were like, that's just like just grasping at topical straws. It is. It's, you know, oh, gee, it's going to tap into the zeitgeist and yeah, kids will love it. No, yeah. it's the worst ever. And this is just, it's really just depressing. I just was, I'm, I felt so bad for Michael Mann that he's reduced to making this. This might be the only type of movie he can get made if he's got an international, you know, a, a star like uh, Chris Hemsworth in it. But normally I would say he was coasting. I just think that this is all he can get made. I just think there's nothing out there for him that he can get. But Wade's right. I would love to see Michael Mann make a Michael Mann film. but. Yeah. Ultimately, I don't know that either. Maybe he's too old now and has lost the fire. No, maybe there, there's, a, just, there's another insider to be made. Maybe, but and, it's almost like Ridley Scott, where like Ridley Scott is kind of coasting a little bit. They're all coasting. You know, it's just why can't Ridley Scott make a just a badass Ridley Scott film? I don't know. You know, even, I don't know. You know, wish I knew. Anyway, that's Black Cat. Although it does look nice on Blu-ray. Yeah, but who cares? Because the movie sucks. All right, and uh, we also have a, a faith-based film here called Hoovy. The faith-based films are very hit and miss. Obviously, they are—they're uh, made primarily for the evangelical audience, but every once in a while, they break out a little bit in a way that makes them interesting to somebody else. And Hoovy is kind of one of those. Um, this is from the people who made Soul Surfer, the uh, the same uh, production team, including uh, director Sean McNamara. And Soul Surfer is a good film. It really is. It's not. It's it's a good crossover film. Obviously, a lot there for the faith audience. But it's a it's a great story. You know, it's that girl and the, you know, the the the, the shark and the whole thing. I mean, that made that made headlines. Hoovy is less um, less well known, but it's a true story, and uh, deals with this family and uh, this kid uh, who. I won't share what the story is exactly, but it, it's it's centered around basketball, and it's very similar in some respects to uh, Soul Surfer. It's a it's a similar struggle, a similar family story, and equally well done. Uh, kind of got a much smaller uh, theatrical release, but I think it'll do okay on uh, on DVD because it's got a great cast, uh, especially Patrick Warburton and Lauren Holly, who are real actors. And when they put real actors in these movies, they somehow take on a different veneer. They don't feel quite so preachy and uh, and and strictly religious. So, uh, Hoovy, if you like basketball, if you like good family dramas, you don't even have to be particularly religious. Hoovy's a pretty good story. Uh, Wade, uh, speaking of uh, what happened to uh, uh, here's another director. What happened to Spike Lee? Yeah, but see, what he's doing is he's like, if you're not going to fund the movies I want to make, then I'll make, make them myself. A, I'll make them with a bunch of, bunch of film school kids. I'll bring my kids and I'll, I'll, I'll pay. But he pays them. He doesn't expect his students to actually work free. He pays them. All that's fine. Yeah. I just don't know that I like it when it, when it, when it results in movies like The Sweet Blood of Jesus. It's not a very good film. It's almost like... Uh, but at least it's the film he wanted to make. And you know what? I guess that's true. You know, you, yeah. You'd rather see a... Um, would you rather see a filmmaker like Spike Lee... Right. Would you rather see him fail on his own terms or succeed on a studio's terms? Uh, fail on his own terms. If you see, but here's the thing. If you see him succeed on a studio's terms, you get Inside Man, which That's I like a lot. True. So really there's pros and cons to both. Yep. But you know, someone like Spike Lee, you want to see him. Yeah. yeah look, the, the movie was funded partly through Kickstarter, right? As you say, he 
pays his crew, even though they're all these film student kids. So uh, it's basically, um, it's kind of like um, Spike Lee's, I guess, vampire film. Yeah. It's about this African artifact, and uh, you know, this, this doctor gets cursed with it, and what happens after that. So, you know, I really think, it, the problem with Spike Lee is that he really blew it with Old Boy. Yeah, he did. He really blew he it. He did. That was his chance to kind of get back in the saddle and to get back in good graces and start getting projects offered to him, but he didn't. That and, should have been And a... frankly, I don't know that that could have worked in anyone's hands, but he certainly should have done a better job with it than he did. Um, let's see. I'll make uh, – let's talk about uh, The Loft, which has a – which should be a better film. It's not a bad film. should be better, though, given the cast. Uh, I mean, when you – Matthias Schoenertz, first of all, one of my favorite actors in the world. That guy just gets better and better. Matthias Schoenertz along with uh, Wentworth Miller, James Marsden, and Carl Urban, who uh, keeps reinventing himself in curious and interesting ways. Yeah, it should be a better movie, but it's it winds up being kind of a generic modern thriller noir. A lot of tough guys and uh, a uh, you know uh, who have who've who've created this place called the Loft, which is you know a penthouse where um, they do naughty things. And uh, then suddenly there's a dead body, and nobody knows. And how the body got there and everything. And then suddenly there's a lot of clues pointing at different people and yada, yada, yada. So you get into this, uh, what should be a really kind of an interesting thriller, except it's, as most thrillers are, the setup is more interesting than the payoff. And when you're doing kind of quasi-modern noir, that you, you got to have a payoff that really, really just nails people. So anyway, that uh, it, it's okay. It should be better. Um the cast should be better, but it's, you know, if you like the actors, you'll probably enjoy the film nonetheless. Also got a thing here called uh, Butterflies of Bill Baker, which is uh, another one of these little indies that really kind of is surprisingly very, very good. Uh, these movies that are made for next to no money by people who are just going out there and, and gritting their teeth and throwing it together. Uh, this is from Running Bear Media. And uh, the idea here is this is actually just a really, really sweet film about uh, this guy, Bill Baker, who uh, has a passion for butterflies, of all things. And uh, the problem is he suffers from a, a disorder which is called Pavorno Nocturus. Nocturnus. Pavorno Nocturnus. Wow, I can't believe I actually said that, it the right time. That, that you, sounds you know what like, that is? You know what it is? It sounds like one of those things that like a teenager utters in like some 1980s like low budget film mm-hmm. and if they say that then the monsters will come to life and attack them it's it's an it's a it's a it's a weird kind of it's an actual thing it's a disorder where you do it's like with night terrors you you get violent at night and you do violent things it's it's and it's it's apparently a real thing it's rare but it's apparently a real thing so anyway uh this is about his his struggle and uh, how this really amazing 10-year-old girl sort of changes his entire life and his mar- his broken marriage and all this stuff. So, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an unusual story with unusual elements, really well acted and really surprisingly nicely put together despite a really limited budget. So that is called Butterflies of Bill Baker. Oh, wait, this movie with a good cast that uh, vaguely wastes them is called Two Men in Town. This is with Forrest Whitaker, Harvey Keitel. I actually, I actually did a, um, uh, a featurette for this that was on uh, for the cable. What? Are, are you on this? No. But I, it, I, it was strictly I, I for cable. It was a cable thing. It was I didn't a cable watch the thing. featurettes. It was a cable thing. Uh, it's, it's okay. Uh, you know, look, there's, there's huge gaps in logic in it. Um, it's beautifully shot, by the way, by the guy who did Holy Motors, your favorite film. Yeah. And also White Material, yeah. which you do like. You hate Holy Motors, but you like white material. Correct. I, I, I love Holy Motors, yes. and I love white yeah, material. Yeah, well, whatever. Anyway, Forrest Whitaker plays a um, – he's this guy, ex-con, trying to go straight, killed a man at the beginning of the film, winds up in prison for you know, almost 20 years, and Brendan Blethyn plays uh, the um, uh, parole officer. And, of course, you know the bad guys and good guys are all con- converging on him. You know, to kind of make his life more difficult. So, um, you know, I, I, I would I would have been okay with this film if nothing else, based on the cast and the cinematography. But I just felt like um, I think Forrest Whitaker is quite good in this. I mean, his character, he, you know, he, he's a it's a really interesting guy, um, and it's a it's a remake of a movie that probably nobody has actually seen. Uh, but it, it changes a lot of things in the remake. It's a, it was originally a French film, and uh, with with Alain Delon and. Uh, um, 
Shaggy Green? And uh, 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 Caratop? Uh, no, the other. The, uh, Not Caratop? No. Uh, 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 what, we, gave him, we gave him the Career Achievement Award. I'm totally drawing a blank. French Paul New Wave. Paul, French New Wave. Oh, yeah, uh, uh, Belmondo. Belmondo, thank you. Really? Delon it's Belmondo. Cast. Oh, well, that was the original one. No one's ever seen it. No one's seen it here. It's a, it's a rare film. Uh, so, anyway, that's the. Uh, this is the. I'm going to Netflix that right now. I bet they have it. Do it. Uh, I'll bet you they don't. With that, with that cast? That's, that's cool. Well, anyway, uh, so the but the, the the thing with this is that the, um, uh, the, 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 the they to do a film in New Mexico. Basically, they want to do a French film, a remake of a French film in New Mexico, and uh, it just uh, it's I mean it's fine. It works on some level, but uh, I wish the I do I wish it was a little bit better too. Um, we've got a thing here called Maya the B movie. Uh, which is one of these straight-to-video CGI animated films that uh, isn't quite, you know, it's not nearly like Pixar level. It's not nearly uh, uh, DreamWorks animation level, but it's not bad. Uh, it's the animation that they were getting now for these straight-to-video things, straight-to-home video things, are pretty good. They're, they, they just keep improving, which raises the bar for everybody, and I guess that's a good thing. So this is, uh, this is a, a, a G-rated 3D Blu-ray release. Uh, that kind of sh- it's a nice little companion piece. it's sort of if, if you if you're going to show movies like Ants and a Bug's Life to your your four and your five year old uh, this skews much younger I like I wouldn't be uh, afraid to show this to my daughter who's now a little bit over two Peppa she, Pig you know what you know what she's really into now by Peppa the way Pig. she's really into Mickey and Minnie Mouse and we didn't introduce her to Disney it's not like we're, we're not like those parents who are like, oh, here, let's just like drown her in Disney, and next thing she'll be just you know begging for everything, princesses and Mickey Mouse. We, you we, don't know how Disney works. They're, they're, not, they're insidious. It's, but the second that she saw on her little toothbrush, right? This is what you talk about insidious. The second she saw Minnie Mouse on her toothbrush, couldn't take her eyes off it. Aww. She's like, oh, we're like that's Minnie Mouse, Minnie Mouse, and then suddenly we're just breathing. She sees Mickey's clubhouse, that horrible CGI animated thing. She just loves it. Watch a more Mickey Minnie Mouse. It's like, oh, oh no, are you kidding me? You want to watch that show? I hate that show. So Peppa Pig's over. No, she's still into Peppa. Okay. I'm still Daddy Pig, and you know, Christy's still Mommy Pig. Aw. Um, well, you are a pig. I am a pig, and you know, there's a Peppa Pig uh, uh, theme park actually in in England. Did you know this? I, I did not know that. <laughs> it's actually not far from where our friend Andrew lives. It's about an hour away by car. Yes, Somerset. Here we come. So anyway, Maya the Bee movie. It's sweet. Skews, skews much younger, but it uh, and and I guess there's a, there's a series uh, that goes with this as well. So you know, uh, we'll be covering that soon enough. Uh, Wade Seventh Son. Let me tell you a story about Seventh Son. Oh, man, that thing tanked, didn't it? You know what? I gotta say, uh, I feel bad for Jeff Bridges. They moved you know? the uh, they moved the uh, the release date on that a few times. Well, uh, yes. What? Yeah, uh, I think I'm getting some interference for some Just reason. Just say, don't stop the recording. Just tell me. You yeah. want me to turn? You want me to silent uh, uh, airplane mode yeah, my phone? Yeah, let's do that. Um, you know, I feel bad for Jeff Bridges. The guy wins an Oscar for uh, the Scott Cooper film. Speaking of the Scott Cooper film, when I saw um, Mad Max, I saw the trailer for Black Mass. Yeah. Uh, how good does that look? It looks. It looks. It looks good. Except I. I've, I'm done with Depp. I mean, it's like he's doing his, the best job he can, but I'm still watching it going, that's Johnny Depp, and he's doing shtick. I know. Uh, by the way, um, that guy, what's his name? No, uh, Steve? No, the, 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 no, the guy that the, 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 the it's about. The, oh, uh, the, the Whitey uh, Bulger. Whitey, Whitey Bulger. Uh, you know, a friend of mine who's a screenwriter in uh, Santa Monica, uh, you know, veteran kung fu, you know, he was like head writer on kung fu for many years. Um, he, that, he lived in that building. He used to see Whitey. Every day in really? the elevator. Yep, they lived on the on like four doors apart each, in the same building. And he didn't know he was Whitey. Not a clue. Not a clue. Suddenly, suddenly he's he's watching TV and Whitey Bulger arrested. And it was it was like Whitey Bulger was arrested in your building. That guy four doors down that you never recognized. He couldn't believe it. Now, did he ever put two and two together and say, "Oh yeah, maybe that's why he no. came home late"? Or no, no, they were just they were nice but never talkative. That was it. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Seventh Son with um, Jeff Bridges. This thing was supposed to open a year before it wound up actually yeah. opening. Uh, and that really tells you something right there. It's got it's just very tired. The special effects are not that great. Even Jeff Bridges, you know, Jeff Bridges loves doing that whole Zen thing where he like yeah. he's like the mentor, the master. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I just, it, be, look, between this 
and 47 Ronin, there is just something to be said about these sorts of movies, especially when they're directed by Russians. I don't know what it is about Russians. They yeah. just can't direct. Anyway, this movie, just it's just, it's just not great. Um, I would pass on this totally. Although I will say it's got a great cast. Obviously, Julianne Moore is in it, and obviously, as we said, um, it's got an alternate get, alternate ending. It's got and, an alternate ending. Yeah. It looks it, it looks good. The only thing is that the um, the the effects aren't that great. Movies that have alternate endings as extras, really, we've never talked about this before on the show, but that is such a warning. If you're looking at a movie and one of the extras is an alternate ending, that doesn't mean oh they thought it would be really cool to go and shoot an alternate ending. What that means is the original ending didn't test well, and we had to shoot something else. So, so here's the movie with the crap ending that was decided by committee, along with the original ending that really probably works better. That's what that means. True. So you're, you, when you see that on a film, that is a red flag that this movie was, was completely distorted after some bad test screenings. Could be true. Although, although look, it doesn't necessarily mean the film is doomed. If you look no. at like, like the most famous... Changed ending, fatal attraction. Fatal attraction. The original ending's better though, but not as commercial, not, not as, as popular. Com- that, that yeah, is true. I know. Uh, anyway, so uh, I would pass on Seven Sun. Uh, murky plot, um, uh, special effects not that great, and uh, yeah, I pass on this. Yeah. So um, the <laughs> we also have Hot Tub Time Machine Two, uh, hotter and wetter, unrated cut. I hated the first one. This uh, one's just even worse. I, you know what? I wanted the, to like the first one because the, the whole idea no. of a hot tub, hot tub time machine is obviously ridiculous and it's funny. It's just it's just it's it, nonsense. This is a Blu-ray DVD set. Uh, you know, it's more of the same. It's just ridiculous. Chevy Chase shows up here for some godforsaken reason, uh, and it's uh, this is the un, you know this is the unrated cut and blah blah. It's got a commentary with the director and the writer and the making of and lots of stuff that just is pointless unless you just love this movie to begin with. But Mark, this is also what they sent to us. Can you believe this? This is what they sent us. I don't, uh, a dick pad. <laughs> Loosen to what? what does it do? <laughs> it's, it's a thing from the movie. Uh, it, it, it's, it's just insane. Wait, is this supposed to, what does this do? Here, here we go. The, the 12-inch dick pad is our thickest one yet and is capable of handling any job it's given. It comes loaded with advanced technologies, including our patented soft-touch ID sensor, so you'll never have to worry about someone else handling your dick pad. It's a joke. It's, but big, what it's is a stupid it? joke. But it's not self-explanatory. I don't know. No, what, because oh, you, 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 have to, you, you have to have seen the movie. You have to have seen the movie. Yeah. Okay. But why would they send that to us? Not only that, why did they make 10,000 of these or how many they exactly. made to give them... I'm just mystified. I am It's too. the strangest swag that we have ever gotten with the... It's the strangest swag. Because if you, if you haven't seen the movie, you're going to look at that and you're going to go, is this real? Is this a joke? Why are you sending well, it, me this? Yeah, well, it's definitely real and it's definitely a joke. Yeah, but it's a lot of money spent. I mean, just send me like a pen with the logo of the movie on it. Exactly. That, that I can use. You know, that actually has, I can put that on the desk, I'll sign checks with it, I'll, I'll make notes with it, you know, write down, uh, you know, doodles while I'm talking to people who bore me, whatever, but I'm, honestly. I'm, I'm going to write, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a search on dick pad. Yeah, do that. And while you're doing that, I'm going to go through some BBC and uh, British stuff. Uh, Jeremy Piven and Mr. Selfridge, season three, the, uh, the other uh, department store set uh, British television series, which is kind of uh, somewhat peripherally connected to uh, Downton Abbey. Uh, Jeremy Piven, man, this guy, what a, what a charmed career. He walks from uh, Entourage, which is sort of like his defining television moment, and he walks right into this defining telev- British show as Mr. Selfridge, the, great, the famous American who founded the British, tele- uh, That's British a weird, you know, department I, store Selfridges. The thing with, with, with him is that I never take him seriously as an actor. I don't know that he's he so good on seriously. this. He's so good on this. And this just gets, it gets better and better. I mean, there's nothing here that's actually, that actually happened. The, uh, they're just using an actual guy as kind of the, the, the foundation for this show. But I, the, the whole milieu of it is really compelling. We also have Stephen Poliakoff's Dancing on the Edge. Uh, which is also from PBS on Blu-ray. Wonderful cast, uh, especially uh, Matthew Good, who I just think is one of the great British actors right now. Um, terrific cast also includes Jacqueline Bisset, who just seems to age at the slowest rate since, since like, Tar. Chuetta uh, Legiafor, uh, Joanna Vanderham, and John Goodman, all of them in this, all of them wonderful in this. John Goodman's wearing a lot of tuxedos lately. He's, he's kind of trying to forge a new career as that... Uh, 
older gentlemen, that patrician gentleman in uh, you know American and British period films. Anyway, uh, this is set in London in the 1930s during the uh, the jazz era, and uh, Stephen Polyakov, who is a really terrific writer and not a bad director. Um, this is a really cool period, you know, mystery drama that is just beautifully, beautifully done. High, uh, high caliber all around. Uh, we also have from uh, Acorn on DVD, The Mystery of Lord Lucan, which is a couple of uh, really, really cool uh, dramas uh, based on unsolved crimes. And that makes it interesting in and of itself. Anything that's unsolved is much more interesting than stuff that's solved in case you didn't know that. Foil's War, set eight on uh, on Blu-ray with the wonderful Michael Kitchen, just first-rate actor all, always. I don't know why he never had a big feature career. Because he has a silly name. Uh, Masterpiece Mystery has a new star, and that is Grant Chester on PBS, which is uh, a, a, also a really, really sharp show. Great mystery. Deviates a little bit from what we normally expect with British mystery, but it does so in a uh, in a really really cool way. Uh, this is you know village mystery stuff. So you're you're dealing with this guy uh, set in 1950s, this little town called Grantchester, and uh, the uh, the 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 priest who uh, you know it's his it's his congregation, and it's all the things that go on. It's small town nastiness. Um, and uh, then we also have Jamaica Inn for television, which is going to connect to the other Jamaica Inn we're going to talk about in a second, the original Hitchcock film. Uh, this is the same story done British television style with the wonderful uh, Jessica Brown Findlay, who uh, was one of the daughters on uh, Downton Abbey until she died while in childbirth, uh, based on the Daphne du Maurier novel, which is uh, always really, really good. Joanne Wally, Matthew McNulty also show up in this. I don't think it's better than the uh, the Hitchcock film, but it's certainly less dated and, uh, you know, it's longer and more faithful. It's like three hours long, has a certain, you know, epic feel to it, and it's a great story if you've never read it. And then lastly, uh, Wolf Hall, which is uh, getting a little bit of traction. I can't say that I'm all that hugely fond of Wolf Hall. I, uh, I'm not familiar with the novels, which are written by Hilary Mantel. Uh, I do like Mark Rylance who is the only recognizable figure in this but um I'm willing to give it a willing to give it a little bit of a little bit of a chance uh basically the the relationship of Thomas Cromwell not to be confused with Oliver Cromwell uh and his uh his relationship with King Henry III who here is played by Damian Lewis in a pretty pretty good performance and uh, it, all of that stuff is kind of similar to another movie we're going to be talking about uh next week I believe. Uh, yes. Probably next week. Uh, it's it's on the stack for this week, but I think we're not going to get to it, which is, of course, A Man for All Seasons, which includes Yay. includes the figure of Cromwell, includes Henry VIII, and uh, you know that's a big deal in that movie as well. So Wolf Hall and A Man for All Seasons, uh, which was Best Picture of 1966. A little bit of connectivity there, too. So, uh, Speaking of which, Wade, why or have we not gotten to the Vox Box yet? We will. Right now. No, we will. Right now. Okay. I don't want you to forget. Okay. No, we're going to do it. So, all right, Mark, yes. give us give us give us the lead. <gasps> really? I can do go it ahead. now. Do it now. Yes. Please don't skip ahead any right bodies. Wait, it's not going to be funny. Wait, wants me to stop now. Hello, Mark and Wade. This is Jason Levy. Uh, in episode 375, Wade, you stated that uh, Ninja Scroll was one of the top ten best anime films of all time. I was wondering, Wade, uh, what are the other nine films you believe as being of the best anime films ever made? Thanks. All right, thank you, Jason, for putting me on the spot for something that was uh, that was a, a, a slip of the tongue in a way. No, I there are, you know there are. Um... Uh, I said top ten because I, I didn't want to have to say the best or one of the five best. I wanted to give it a little more latitude. Uh, look, I think, you know, great anime. When I think of great anime without sort of going through the entire history of anime, I think of Spirited Away. Uh, I think of Grave of the Fireflies. Um, definitely Metropolis, which I think is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, Akira. Akira, for sure. Definitely Akira. So, I mean, I wouldn't want to actually have to uh, rank any of those. Um, I do like uh, Blood, the Last Vampire. I think that's completely unique and totally original. Um, that's a really, really cool film. Uh, you know, there are others that I... Uh, the Wind Rises, 
just a couple of years ago. I thought that was sure. a beautiful film. I would probably put that in the in the uh, in the top ten. Top ten well. of all time. Top ten anime films. Oh sure. Yeah, of all time. Um, you know, then there's stuff like uh, you know Millennium Actress and Porco Rosso and those things. I don't know if they're they're kind of in the mix, you know, uh, now, depending I, on my mood. And but Grave of the Fireflies to me is yes. is the top animated uh, anime film of all time. That's just the best. Now, uh, are, get are, any better. are you pro or con Cowboy Bebop? No, not a, not a fan. How about Evangelion? You know what? Uh, no, not so much. I mean, it's okay. I, you know, but it, it, I'm not, I'm more, they have to be sort of more humanistic, actually. Uh, Akira and Metropolis are the ones that are more traditional tech, dystopian future, cyberpunk anime that where I, I'm able to get past all of that stuff. So, you know, uh, and then, of course, Space Cruiser Yamato, uh, that is pretty awesome. I don't know, I don't know if it's right to sort of put that at the very, very top, but. You know, I like it. I like it a lot. So yeah, why not? There you go. So that's not nine, but there's a there's a bunch in there. So they're all those are all sort of in the mix. That's that's my mix. Um, not a huge fan of Princess Mononoke, except maybe the Japanese version. Well, but... you, you you can't make all of your choices uh, Miyazaki films. Yeah, I know. They should be though, right? Fuh. You know, too bad Gla. there wasn't. There needed to be a Speed Racer animated movie. Not not the thing that the Wachowskis did. I disagree. That Wachowski film was great. Ugh, blah. Blork. Yuck. Blork. Yuck. All right. Um, you know what? Real quickly, too, before uh, we get into the uh, the final. Actually, you know what? Let, let's do some foreign stuff real quickly. Because we've got some really good criterions in here. And uh, so let's, let's, let's blow through some foreign stuff. Um, I'm not going to call this a foreign language, but this needs to be made mention of. We've got a really interesting new... Um, new line here which is sign language American sign language DVDs which I'm kind of amazed that they haven't released this before this is from a company called Dawn Sign Press and they're going to be releasing a lot of these uh, they're called Once Upon a Sign that's the uh, the um, the line it's it's inexpensively made but I think it's a great idea to uh, to release things for people who are deaf and can enjoy these stories told with American Sign Language. I think that's an unbelievably underserved audience. It's amazing to me that nobody else has thought of this. This is about 24 minutes long, also has voiceover, and uh, the story here is The Magic Mirror. And it's, uh, it's you know, again, inexpensively done, but it's very nicely told, and uh, especially if you're talking about kids, deaf kids who are learning sign language, uh, this is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. So, uh, bravo to them, and we'll talk about more of their titles as they release them. Uh, you know, this is just really, really wonderful that they're doing this. Uh, and then we also have a film from uh, Draft House on Blu-ray. Uh, this is a Blu-ray and digital HD combo set called Amira and Sam, which is uh, sh- probably should be better than it is. This is an Arabic-language film, which I always celebrate. Anything that sort of uh, tries to uh, enrich the uh, enrich our understanding of the uh, the world of Arabic-language cinema, which is not heavily well represented around the world. Um, it's a little bit, in some respects, like before, like those uh, before movies with Richard Linklater and uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. You know, b- before sunrise, after the moon, whatever, sure. whatever they're all called. <laughs> I always get the, I always get the titles mixed up. Uh, it's a little bit like that. Uh, it certainly gives you a completely different perspective on romance and uh, and uh, social interaction between the genders in the Arab world. It's an, uh, completely uh, not what people are accustomed to seeing when all we see is you know burqas and uh, and hijab and uh, on the news reports all the time. It's all Afghanistan and ISIS and whatnot. So uh, this gives you a much more modern. Um, a modern look at it, and uh, it's not bad. Amira and Sam, good acting from the stars Martin Starr, Dina Shahabi, and Paul Wesley. And uh, you know, it's uh, the New York backdrop doesn't doesn't hurt either. So there you go. Uh, well, we have three uh, uh, criterions this week. Very exciting. Two from uh, Costa Gavras. The first is State, State of Siege. Now, with Costa Gavras, you know he he always deals with like political corruption in Latin America or in Greece or in Czechoslovakia. Um, this I did one, an audio commentary with him. Uh, he was a wonderful man. Don't. Okay, go wait, ahead. Wait, wait, wait. What's that noise? Is, uh, is that t- you dropping a name? Yeah. Okay. Um, this one is more kind of American because it kind of, even though it's 1972, it is, 
it's almost prescient or prescient, you can prescient. say. Prescient. Yes. Because it puts under a microscope U.S. involvement in Latin America. Yep. And so Yves Montand, who, of course, is a hardly American, but still, he, he plays this U.S. official and he gets abducted. And so he becomes a bargaining chip to release some political prisoners. And so this is really good stuff. It's just he really turns the screws on this. It's a great critique of um, of the American government and how we meddle in foreign in foreign governments and foreign dictatorships. So State of Siege is definitely cool. I prefer the confession. The confession is re- this thing really turns the screws. This thing is great. It's about Yves Montand again. He plays this government official in Europe. And he's imprisoned by his government, you know, communist bosses. He's not told why he's been arrested. They, you know, tortured him psychologically. And he discovers why he's been kidnapped and why he's been tortured. And I won't tell you why because it is totally cool. It's almost Twilight Zone. It's so cool. But this is great. Even though it's all about the the Czechoslovakian government and communism and blah, blah, blah. Don't worry about it. You don't have to necessarily know Czechoslovakian government ins and outs in the early 70s to really groove on this film. It's just a really cool paranoid thriller. The Confession and the Criterion, of course, as usual, knocks it out of the park. Uh, they have an uh, onset documentary, which is cool. Um, of course, the usual essay. So I like The Confession a lot. State of Siege I liked a lot too, but a little bit less. Also, we have The Merchant of Four Seasons. Now, The Merchant of Four Seasons is an early film from uh, Fassbender. And this one is interesting. It's kind of like it's kind of funny I think that Fassbender got a, wasn't as funny later in his career I think you can probably say oh, anyway. he definitely he's been making comedies I mean films that are you know relatively comedies right. I mean it, they're not ha 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 but no. they're oh that's amusing so he's been doing that more lately but Mer- right but Merchant of Four Seasons to me is him working out his style it was early in his career it's about this this policeman who you know he's not a policeman anymore. He served in the war, and now he's trying to make ends meet as a as a fruit vendor. And so it's really cool stuff. I would recommend this highly. It's a new 4K digital restoration. Again, this is from 1971, so 4K is great. Although the film will never look fantastic. There's an audio commentary featuring uh, vendors, which of course is great. Another you know cinematic icon from Germany. Uh, new interviews uh, with some of the actors, and uh, it's good. Good stuff. Merchant of Four Seasons. Good. Not as good as The Confession. Uh, and a little bit... Uh, and uh, also State of Siege. Bravo. Uh, on Blu-ray and on DVD, not together, but separately, uh, from our good friends over at Cinema Libre is Days of Grace, Dias de Gracia, which uh, is just another really intense, unbelievably cool Mexican film. Uh, something just happened in the last, you know, 15, 20 years with Mexican cinema. And there is just this ongoing onslaught of really interesting Mexican directors, not all of whom I particularly like, but I confess they're all interesting and they're getting films in their, uh, in, their, uh, in, in festivals and they're really making, uh, making an impact. Uh, this film is all about the obvious crime issues right now in Mexico. This is from uh, director... Everardo Gut or Gut G O U T, uh, really a talented guy, and uh, the the whole thing takes place over the course of uh, three different World Cup uh, tournaments, and uh, it feels a little bit like uh, Amoros Peros in some respects. It feels like it's kind of trying to tread some of the sim- uh, similar territory, but it does in a really original way. A lot of high style. Very violent. Uh, it doesn't make you exactly want to go to Mexico. I'll tell you, it's not a it's not a tourist film, but it's done really really well. It's very stylish, and uh, even Scarlett Johansson shows up in here. So uh, that's that's pretty that's pretty slick stuff. Days of Grace, Dias de Gracia. Uh, check that out on Blu-ray in particular, especially with the uh, the stylish visuals. And then we have a French film from Celine Sciamma, who previously has done Water Lilies and uh, Tomboy, usually deals with films that are uh, primarily oriented towards uh, uh, coming of age, basically young lesbian women or women who have young uh, women who have uh, gender identity issues. And uh, Girlhood is a little bit of a change. It's still a coming of age thing. It's not necessarily um, uh, sexually oriented. This is more about a young girl who uh, and it's entirely takes place in you know the uh, sort of the, uh, the the next generation African immigrant community in uh, France, and you've got these you know this young black girl who um, 
just doesn't have a great upbringing and finds solace in a, in a group of uh, you know group of girls that kind of take her in a different direction, maybe the wrong direction, maybe a better direction, but it's how she sort of encounters all of these hurdles that are just a part of her socioeconomic circumstance and how she copes with them. And uh, it is a tough but ultimately inspiring film and uh, really a step up for Celine Sciamma. That's on Blu-ray. It's called Girlhood. And it was a big deal at Sundance and at Cannes last year. Definitely worth checking out. So that is that one is... Uh, is out there from the good people at Strand on Blu-ray. Strand does not often do Blu-rays, but this one they clearly knew they had something special. By the way, we wrap out, don't we, Wade? Uh, wrap out uh, with this the show. The, the show? No, I got a few. I got a few uh, other things here, real quickly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Golden Globe winner for best foreign film, Leviathan. This is also Academy Award nominee. A lot of people had it in their Oscar pool, including me. And uh, this is a uh, terrific film. This is, it's kind of a loose retelling of uh, the Book of Job. And it's about this guy who lives in a small fishing town in, uh, in Russia, northwest Russia. And it's all about this guy who, f- what goes on underneath the surface of this small town is a bit of a microcosm as to what's going on in greater Russia today. Because you talk about he talks about religion and, and politics and guns and so you get this guy who lives in this little riverside little house and one day uh, the government seizes his land so he decides to enlist a long a friend of his who's who's an attorney and they decide to contest the town mayor's claim of eminent domain and that's I, where it all falls apart I thought for sure this thing was going I really I, was I, great. I, I thought this was going to win uh, the foreign language Oscar I did yeah. this was I thought this was going to upset just just that was just my gut feeling and it didn't you know everybody that's went, true went with the obvious favorite but that's it's still a great film and it's a great it won, film one screenplay at can deservedly it's uh, it's a smart film from a, a really interesting director that's right deleted scenes uh, Toronto uh, Toronto Film Festival Q&A with the director Commentary with the director and uh, making a featurette. A terrific film, definitely a rental, Leviathan, uh, which, of course, there's no actual Leviathan in the film. It's a metaphorical Leviathan. And we are going to wrap out with uh, one from Cohen and then some from uh, Warner Archive and uh, Olive. Uh, getting back to the Hitchcock Jamaica Inn. This is now out on a Blu-ray from Cohen, beautifully restored. This is the, can you believe it, the 75th anniversary of this film. 75 years since Jamaica Inn. Oh, Jamaica Inn. Jamaica Inn with the, the unbelievable casting of uh, Charles Lawton and Maureen O'Hara. Alfred Hitchcock didn't really make a lot of period films. Uh, he, you know, he did uh, Beyond Capricorn and uh, Jamaica Capricorn Inn. Capricorn 1 with O.G. Simpson? No, 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 no. Uh, but uh, the, Capricorn and Jamaica Inn are the two sort of period, period films that he did. And they're both good. Uh, Jamaica Inn is not a sort of classic Hitchcock film. He's very much kind of a hired hand on this. But it's a great cast, and this 4K uh, restoration is just superb. I mean, it is gorgeous looking. Uh, Full-length audio commentary with uh, an essay, a video essay by Donald Spotto. It is, uh, this, is a, this is just a super cool film and a great cast. Again, not as faithful as the more recent British television version, which is uh, three hours in length. This thing is 100 minutes. It just blows through. But you know what? From the, the amazing year of 1939, which, cre- which gave us so many amazing films from Gone with the Wind to uh, Gunga Din to you know, Mr. Washington, uh, 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 Mr. Smith Goes to Washington to uh, Wizard of Oz. I mean, on and on and on. It's an amazing year. Um, and this is another one, Jamaica Inn, from that legendary year of 39, from Cohen on Blu-ray. Beautifully, beautifully done. And then a uh, quick batch here from uh, Olive before I wrap out with Warner Archive. Uh, Olive has given us another set of interesting uh, catalog titles. Uh, all of these are from the uh, MGM and 20th libraries. We start off with Farrah Fawcett in Extremities, which goes along with The Burning Bed as two of her riskiest but best performances. Robert M. Young, a guy that never really kind of uh, hit his stride, but did, gave us a lot of good movies, not a lot of great movies from 1986. Uh, you know, that's, uh, it, 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 that's all there is about this. Alfred Woodard and James Russo uh, co-star, but it's really all about Farrah Fawcett just going raw and, and taking abuse and showing us that she can actually act. Uh, Peter Benchley's Creature is a truly silly movie from uh, 1998. Uh, you know, it, it just reaffirms that Peter Benchley really was a one-note guy. Jaws was all he had in him. Everything else is just ridiculous. But this thing has kind of a following because it's a creature feature. 
it's just embarrassingly stupid and kind of enjoyable in a way. And you have people, really good actors here, who try to be a little bit uh, serious about it, including Giancarlo Esposito, who does his level best, along with everybody else, to make this thing feel authentic. Uh, Craig Nelson, kind of miscast. Uh, Kim Cattrall is always funny. Uh, And then we have uh, It, the Terror from Beyond Space. Uh, Speaking of creature features, this thing is just all-out silly B-movie wonderfulness. This was uh, originally made in 1958, right in that sweet spot when we were starting to get a lot of really great silly B-movies and the Red Scare was just going completely unhinged. Uh, Marshall Thompson is about the best you get in this as far as cast, but this thing is thoroughly entertaining. And then lastly, a movie that's kind of forgotten, but remember Robert De Niro and Philip Seymour Hoffman in Flawless? Sure. What a terrific movie this was. Uh, One of those Joel Schumacher movies that's just done on a small scale but just feels earnest and authentic. Philip Seymour Hoffman in in drag, uh, totally great performance, unbelievably uh, compelling. And Robert De Niro just kind of along for the ride to sort of let Philip – to just give Philip Seymour Hoffman some great supporting strength. It's a really interesting film and uh, a fascinating relationship and friendship between these two great actors in this movie. So that's uh, that's one of the better Joel Schumacher movies of the last, I don't know, 10, 12, 13 years. Well, Schumacher's kind of done now, right? He's, you know, I, I think he's due for a resurgence. If he wants it, he'll Oh, he's got to be in his 70s. Yeah, but so what? He's Joel but, Schumacher. So, hey, George Miller went into the uh, Namibian desert for that's right. like a year and a half or that's something. That's right. And then from uh, Warner Archive, here's what we got this week in Warner Archive. Man, God bless those people at Warner Archive. They just keep giving us great stuff. Their, their infrequent releases of Blu-rays completely hit the stratosphere this week. Lady Hawk on Blu-ray. Lady. Oh, it, Mark, hey, lady. you remember Lady Hawk? Yes, with Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, Richard Donner, Rutger Hauer, Matthew Broderick. Um, one of the one of the best Richard Donner movies because he's not trying to do the Lethal Weapon or the Superman or the he's not trying to be like that big blockbustery guy. He just has a really interesting story, and uh, it's a nice little kind of Arthurian legend. It was and, during the time when he, he had a lot of movies like that. There yeah. was uh, you know what uh, uh, what was the one with Tom Cruise? You know, uh, uh, not Tom Cruise. You know. Um... Richard Donner film? No, not Richard Donner. Like like uh, Lady Hawk. Yeah. It was like kind of fantasy. Yeah, epics. no, there was there was, was a like fantasy a bunch of them at the time. It was a light fantasy moment. Legend or Excalibur yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, there was a light fantasy moment. Anyway, um, and Vittorio Storaro shot this, and he does a beautiful job. It is a it's a gorgeous Blu-ray. They did a really wonderful job. This was back when Storaro was, you know, he was the man in this moment. It was right on the heels of him doing things like Apocalypse Now and kind of just just before The Last Emperor. You know, it was uh, he was in his prime. It was really sweet. So Lady Hawk on Blu-ray. Lady. And, and then lastly, tying us out with all of their great new DVDs, uh, Warner Archive has uh, a bunch of really cool stuff. Uh, Escape from East Berlin is such a good movie. Don Murray has never given a better performance than he gives in this movie. Don Murray was always sort of like a, an also-ran guy. This is uh, directed by uh, the legendary noir king Robert Syadmach, one of the many directors who just specialized in noir and tough films at the time. And, uh, you know, the, the, it basically, this is, you know, the story of Kurt Schroeder trying to uh, figure out how to get out of East Berlin. That's it. It's an escape movie, but it's really, really well done. Um... Then uh, Stella Stevens, Telly Savalas, David McCallum, and Rip Torn in Soul Madrid, which is uh, one of those pre-Godfather mafia films that uh, aren't really authentic, but they have kind of a cool 60s, 70s vibe to them, and they're a little bit funky, and they, uh, you know, it feels dated, but dated in kind of a good way. Um, really not quite a classic mafia film as we understand it. Ricardo Montalban also shows up in this. Uh, Wallace Beery in the David O. Selznick film uh, Viva Via, which is um, it's kind of uh, it's an it's an it's okay. This is the story of Pancho Villa. Uh, I don't know that Wallace Beery is the right casting for Pancho Villa, but if you're if you're a Wallace Beery fan, and you know it's got the David O. Selznick stamp of style and scale on it, and uh, you know Wallace Beery makes a good try. I just it's sort of amusing in a way. Uh, and then Kid Glove Killer, um, you know, this is sort of a kind of a kind of a programmer in a way, but because it was directed by Fred Zinneman, 
um, you know, you, you can sort of see this amazing legendary filmmaker kind of emerging. It, this was the first film that he made, so it's uh, it's interesting from a historical perspective that you get this this icon, this giant of uh, of the Hollywood golden era, who's sort of putting his pieces together here. So it is, in that sense, it is uh, it is historically significant. And then lastly, uh, this I find to be a really fascinating film. I had never even heard of this movie before. This is a totally unusual film, one of those things that just kind of gets lost between the cracks because nobody really knows what to make of it. Um, This is a crazy, weird, funky comedy. And and I guess Mad, 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 Mad World birthed a lot of these at the time. Uh, This is one of these crazy all-star comedies, these zany farces called Every Little Crook and Nanny. Every Little Crook and Nanny. You get it, Mark? It's not nook and cranny. It's crook and nanny. I don't get it. You don't get it. Okay. Well, never mind. Then. Uh, Lynn Redgrave, Victor Mature, uh, Paul Sand, Dom DeLuise, John Aston. It's a good cast. Uh, Dom DeLuise, especially. You, you could put, Dom, you know, you just put Dom DeLuise in anything, and you laugh, don't you? No one knows who Dom DeLuise is anymore. It's so sad. Oh, gosh, Dom DeLuise was the best. Anyway, um, it's it's a it's a strange little. It's a strange little story about, you know, a, a guy who wants to turn a, 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 a charm school into a bookie joint. That's basically the idea. But it, it just gets zany and crazy and wacky. And it's somewhere between Mad, 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 Mad World and an Ealing comedy, I guess. But uh, it's, a, it's a strange little forgotten gem and uh, it's worth rediscovering. So that's every little crook and nanny. And with that, we are done, my friend. Yes. So we will be... Uh, I'm going I'm, I'm to take my dip pad and do uh, what we need to do. We didn't get to listener mail. We have a couple of listener mail things, so we will uh, we'll hang on to those, and we'll top the show next week with them. We'll see you next week.